right now, our culture knows that one of the areas that we have to make decisions on all the time, it's happening right now. And our, our culture knows it, media knows it, and so they are trying to help you make a great decision. Did you know that? Right now, just so you know, if you don't buy it right now, it might not be available later. And, and if, 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 if you don't get to that store or you don't jump online quick enough, the deal will be gone because Black Friday is the only time that you can get that or Cyber Monday or whatever it is. You know, basically, our culture wants us to spend all our money before giving Tuesday, um, which isn't even a real thing. But here we go, right? We're making up days here to try to our culture trying to tell us what to do with our money. I, I know that money is one of the hardest things to talk about because it's so emotional. But it is probably one of the most important areas of our life where we have to make decisions because it impacts every area of our life. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most talked about and fought over topics in almost every relationship. Uh, if you are in a relationship, uh, if you have had a financial conversation, just go ahead and, if you've gotten into an argument over finances at all, okay, these hands should be higher, thank you, I see that hand high, yes, yes, yes. Okay, good, we get this, finances are hard, but I wish I could change the numbers, but the reality is there's too many people who end up getting divorced and separating over the topic of money. This is a really personal topic. And, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're in a situation where money isn't an issue. I have a friend that I go golfing with often, and he always says to me, he's like, money is not my issue. He's been working around the world, and he's like, at this point, I don't really care. I don't have to think about it. And I, I didn't know what to do for the rest of the round. I thought, how do you get to that place? Pastoral is not the track you want to take to get there. <laughs> um, but, and, and I know that the moment I mentioned money, I could see on your faces some of you going like, really? How do, I, how do I get out of here? Like, will they notice if I sneak out that way? I need to tell you, I know, I know that talking about money is weird. And it feels that way for many of us. But at Crossbridge, we are a transparent church. We are a, a unashamedly biblical. And if the Bible talks about things, we want to talk about things. And I'm, my goal is not to sit here and try to guilt people about money. My goal is not to sit here and try to siphon as much as I can get. Because the truth is, I don't know how much anybody at Crossbridge gives back to God. I have no idea. That really just sits on uh, our treasurer to know those things so that, that you can get your tax write-off things like I get and, and we can track where we are, but I don't want to know those things. And I know that when the church talks about money, it gets weird. All I simply want to do today is help us see, before we move into what we're doing with our Christmas offering, how money has this ability to reveal what's on our heart. Money has this way to show us where our heart is directed and what it's tagged to. And that's why I really want to lean into Jesus' message and his comments in Matthew 6 and why I really wanted Sharon to read that when Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We are to seek first his kingdom and I am today not going to tell you how to budget your money. I'm not going to give you the five tips to saving more of this or doing that. That's not my goal at all today. All I simply want to do is because money tends to be the biggest argument and I can't spend your money and I can't allocate your money. I have a hard enough time with mine sometimes. All I want to do is give you two principles that I think God sets up for us and says, here is a great plan to move forward with this, but it's, it's just, 
it gets funky, and I know that. So I want to give you a starting point, not an ending point. Does that sound good? All right. So to do this, I would love if you would, if you would turn to me to the minor prophet of Malachi. It's going to be the last book in the Old Testament, and this is one of our minor prophets. So if you're soaping with us and you are in uh, Micah, you're just going to go over a little bit. And if you hit Matthew, just go back a chapter. And uh, as you're kind of going over to that place in Malachi, uh, this, like I said, is called a minor prophet. And really, it doesn't mean that what he has is less meaningful than the other prophets. It just simply means it's four chapters as opposed to like the 50 or 60 that the major prophets are. So the major prophets just say a lot more. They just keep going. These minor prophets, they live about the same time as the other prophets, but they just give you a Reader's Digest version. Um, as you're turning to Malachi, here's what's really important to know about this writing. So it's the, the nation of Israel has gone through a major, major moment in their story when they have been taken into exile by the nation of Babylon. And so they're pulled out of Israel. Israel's kind of de completely destroyed and decimated, and they're there for 70 years. The king of Persia, he decides, you know what? I'm going to let them go back. So he sends them back and lets some go back. The first wave that comes back goes, oh my gosh, the temple's been destroyed. We need to rebuild the temple. So they rebuild the center of their worship, and that's where they begin to worship. Then he sends back another wave, and when the next wave comes back, they're like, uh, cool, we got this center. We're worshiping. We got some houses now, but we have no wall, and everybody's going to come and take us out. So we should build a wall. So they start to build a wall, and it's about 100 years after this that Malachi comes on the scene. And this nation has come back out of exile. It's a huge part of their story where they remembered we were not in this area for a time because we completely disobeyed God. And so he took us away. And now we're back and we have our center of worship. We've got our walls and our protection. And the problem is now 100 years later, the people who are living in Israel are really no different than the people who were taken into exile. The problem is they don't look any different. They're still being unfaithful to God. They have become apathetic in almost every area of their life, and they have made multiple questionable decisions. And so God, in a very fatherly way, he begins to talk to them and have a conversation with them about the decisions that they're making in different areas, decisions about their relationships, decisions about sex, because that's the other thing that couples fight about and, and gets split over. He has conversations with them about idolatry, how the, they're so selfish, and he brings up money. And almost like a great teenager would, Israel pushes back on God and is like, yeah, prove it. Now, I, I would say, oh, my teenagers, but I could just, when I read this, I'm like, I'm that person. I do this. Like, I, I get this. I get, do you ever have someone try to, like, correct you, and you're like, yeah? Give me an example. Anybody else like that? Give me an example. Show me, tell me, because if not, I'm not listening to you. Um, right? It, it's so, they, so that's what they do. They say, prove it. Prove it. And so, in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6, this is what it says. It says, I am the Lord. So, obviously, this is God talking, okay? I am the Lord, and I do not change. Let that sink in. I do not change. That's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never really gone away? 
Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? Can you see this kickback right here? This is that teenage kickback that's right there. And when this questioning of a parent comes into play. And so if you are a teenager in the room right now or you're watching with us online, I'm going to give you a little secret, okay? Ready? And, and parents, you can earmuff for a second here, okay? If you respond to your parents and you say, you know what? I know you just said this. Prove it. If you say that, you're asking for trouble because we have a running list going on in our head at all times. Because most of the times we don't say it, and so we're building it, and there's this space where we don't say things that's called grace. And so when you're like, oh yeah, prove it, you might be asking for an avalanche of issues that come your way. And if we end up dumping on you about like, well, it's your homework, well, it's the dishwasher, walking the dog, cleaning your room. This is just what we're building. And so I apologize on behalf of parents, but I also say you asked for it, okay? Um, parents, are, okay, you can un muff here. Listen, this is what Israel's doing. God's saying, listen, you, you've run away from me. And they're like, where are we running from? We've been here the whole time. But, but you're cheating me. And they're like, prove it. Where are we cheating you? We're not cheating you. And so God responds at the end of verse 8. He says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. That set up, right? It, it, it was about the kids taking advantage here of a very generous dad. God is showing the nation, listen, you have become apathetic in the way that you handle money. You think that you've got this all together and the way that you're doing this is right. But the truth is, it's not. You have taken what I have given you for granted and you have forgotten about these two words, tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. How many of you have heard these? Okay, these are very churchy words. You really will not hear these words outside of the church, and we use all different ways to describe them. But this is the, the biggest area that God is addressing with Israel, and he's like, you have got to get things together. But the words themselves aren't ones that we use regularly. So when he mentions tithes, this first word here, tithes, the Hebrew word for tithes simply means this, one-tenth. When I say a quarter, how many percentages? What's the percentage? 25. We know that. It's a quarter. It's 25%. So when God says a tithe, this Hebrew word simply means 10%. It, it's just a, a word that's another name for 10%. We understand these things. But what God is saying is, I, I've given you 100% of your resources from your ability to work. All that you make, I've, I've allowed you that and given you that skill to work. I've given it all to you. And to help you remember that this comes from you, what I'm asking is for the first 10% to come back to the storehouse, to the temple. Before you pay your other bills, the first 10% goes there. I want you to give to my house before you give to your house. Now, this is what the tithe is. Does that make sense? Okay, then he uses another word. The word is offerings. This is everything 
that we want to give out and away that is above and beyond a tithe. Okay, so he's saying to the nation, you've robbed me of your first 10%, but then there's these offerings that come into play where I feel robbed in that place. And listen, there's tons of places to give. I get that. But for us today, at least in my opinion, I think there's a good precedent for us to start at 10% giving back to God. I know that some of you are like, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. I'm not. I'm saying that because before I was ever the pastor here and I was a pastor in other places and before I was ever a pastor, I have had a pattern and a rhythm of giving 10% as part of my life of following Jesus. This is just what I have always done. And then when I got married, um, I, I, I said to Eileen, like, we will begin to tithe. And we did. And she didn't have a problem with that. It was easy. This is what we did. But when we give offerings, it's above and beyond that 10%. I often hear people when they'll tell me, oh, well, my tithe goes to, like, building wells and clean, getting clean water. It goes to this crisis pregnancy center, to this homeless shelter, to this specific missionary that's in that place. By definition, please hear me, that is not what God is saying a tithe is. That is a, an offering, and it is a beautiful, wonderful offering. But our starting place, at least for Israel in the Old Testament, was for 10%. Pastor Will and I had an amazing conversation about this yesterday morning where we were back and forth because we sharpen each other through Scripture. And I need to tell you, in the New Testament, there is not a major pointing towards tithing. And if you're like, whew, God, I have better news for you. The call that Jesus gives is to sacrificial living. I think... 10% is our starting point. But I believe that God calls us to give generously far more than that. We have so much. And so our our tithe starts, then our offerings come into place. I I did ask Eileen this week, um, do you ever imagine what it would be like if we never tithed? Like, what could we have done with the 10% of the money that we've always had? Like, could you imagine? And she looked at me and she's like, no. It's like, okay, you can't imagine what do you mean? And she's like, God's given us 100%. Like, we work for this. This is great. All he's asking is for 10. Like, that's not a big deal. This is great that that's all he asked for. It's all his to begin with. But he's given us 90. We can work with that. And I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah. Can I tell you how grateful I am for a godly wife who loves to be generous? It's amazing. We have fought about money, but never about tithing. Decisions around how we use our money are everywhere, everywhere. And it's one of the reasons I'm really thankful that God makes this simple for us. Start at 10%. What do I do with the 90%? That's not my problem. I don't get to tell you what that is. I think you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he'll give you wisdom on where you should be spending your money. But if you're not starting at a place where you're saying, I'm going to prioritize God first, then I think there is a problem in our life. I just do. It's not a problem in our life. It's a problem in our faith. There's a trust issue. Money has a grip on our hearts in different ways, and I, I don't know how it holds you. But when God simply starts at 10%, do you know why I love this so much? Is because it puts every one of us on the same playing field. The expectation 
that I think God is asking for us is like, okay, if you give a ton of money away, that is awesome. If you make $300,000 a year and your tithe is 30000 amazing. But if you're making $30,000 a year and your tithe is $3,000, guess what? Amazing. And if you're making $3,000 a year and you tithe 300 bucks, guess what? It's amazing. God makes this simple, and he's not saying, if you make three grand, I want you to give 30. No, he's saying, start, I believe he's saying, start with this percentage as a starting point. And I know in my, my own marriage, we have tried to continue. If we were at 10%, we look at our salaries and go, how could we get to 11 or 12? And then we realize things are tight, and we go back, and we, we, we fluctuate, but we'll never go below that point because it makes us start with God as the priority. I want to tell you that that. I know you're probably like, oh, you're just begging for this money, aren't you, Jimmy? I am not. I believe God is begging for our faithfulness because money holds us so tightly. It grips our hearts. And we become so cheap over being generous. And then we spend lavishly on ourselves and think, but I don't have money to give. I, I just don't believe that. I don't. And so as a church, we want to be generous. We want to be generous. We have always aimed, at least in the last 12 years that I have been here, um, and the last eight or whatever years it is that I've been the lead pastor, to try to give away 10% of what we bring in. So all of our tithes that pull in together, we try to make sure we're giving 10% of that away. And it goes away all over the world. You've been part of this. You've given to this. You've been celebrating this with us. This is great. So we're going to do that in-house, but we're also, I think this is what a faithful follower of Jesus will be doing, is giving generously. And so just like a group of kids who comes to God and says, how have we robbed you? You've completely forgotten about me. I become your leftover. We have been created in the image of God, and you know what God is? He's generous. That's what we are called to be. And there is nothing better than when we get to tap into the generosity that God has wired us to be like. You know when you bless someone and they have no idea it's coming and you don't ever want the credit for it. Feels good, doesn't it? Because that's what God does for us all the time. Jesus repeats over and over about the weight of money and the passage that Sharon had read for us from Matthew chapter six. There is no larger portion in the Sermon in the Mount, no bigger topic that Jesus talks about than money and possessions. It's like the heart of his whole message in there because it has a hold on us. And so he tells us right away in verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. And I know that we have a tendency, have you ever heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is? You say things are important, put your money where your mouth is. Well, the Israelites have not done that. God, you're a priority, <laughs> except when you're not because we need that. For what? You know, the things. God says, no, you've robbed me. You've robbed me. And so, their hearts are off. If you look back at verse 10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And I love this. It says, if you do, says the Lord, I will open up wind the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them 
from the insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love the promise that God gives here. It's like he's saying, it's like this challenge and this promise. If you don't believe me, if you don't think that I can't dump blessings out on you, go ahead and test me. Go ahead and test me. We test God all the time. But we just test him in the wrong areas. He's saying, go ahead, test me. If you don't believe it, test me. See if I don't dump out blessings on you. And if anybody's ever going to tell you, you give 10%, you're going to get all this money back in return. That's not what he's saying. He says, see if I don't pour out blessings. See if you don't start prioritizing. If you just put that first portion towards God and you say, I will prioritize my faith as, as a portion of my money. And then, are you waiting for that to come back? No, but I have seen God's blessing poured out on marriages. I have seen God's blessing poured out on kids. I have seen God's blessing poured out on the spiritual life where people were so fearful about the future. And as they gave generously, they've all come back to go, I thought I couldn't afford to do this. And now I can't imagine not doing it. I trust God more now than I ever have. Well, what's the blessing? Did you make more? Did you do this? No, I trust God more now than I ever have. That is my blessing. I'm not going to tell you what your blessing is because that's what God will give and see if he won't pour it out. But we test him in other areas, not in this one. Listen, as a church, we want to be generous. Amen. The last couple of years, we have said with a Christmas offering, we always want to give it away. We had a surplus coming into 2020, and we were like, you know what? Instead of just banking it and putting it towards whatever, let's continue to invest in people. Let's, let's give things away to the community and give generously. Why? Because we're always working towards our vision, our vision of loving God, loving people, serving the world. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we're, we're becoming is, you know, worshiping a loving God and trying to love him with all that we are, you know, being loving people as we're loving people and serving the world in all that we do when we do that, amen? So when we take a Christmas offering, this is a, an opportunity, because it's an offering, to give above and beyond our regular tithing that we give back to God. And in 2022, I love this. You know, put your money where your mouth is. All right, here it is. You ready? We gave to two or four different areas, two in, two out. And the two areas that we gave out were we gave to Options for Women because we did a great series called Life Choices where we talked about the tension around the laws that were passed around abortion. Do you remember that? And if we're going to care and help women... Wherever they are, whatever choices they're making, if we're truly going to love people and preserve life all around, we better give to that. And so we did. We gave a portion to that. We gave a, a, a large portion away to global missions and to reaching people for Jesus in the Middle East. And how cool is it last year we had, or in 2023, this year, two international workers from the Middle East coming and spending time with us here, sharing about what was going on in their life. And then when all this debacle breaks out in the Middle East now, we have a bit of a different way of praying because we have friends who are there. Amen. We give to that. We put our money where our mouth is. It matters. And we gave. And then we gave inside and we decided it's good to fund two ministries that we believe are growing and don't have enough resources. What do we do with that? And so we gave a, a, a portion to CB Special Needs. Oh my gosh. Would you believe that there are more families who are coming to Crossbridge because their family members who have special needs will really be cared for because of you? 
and your generosity. We've got more people volunteering in CB Special Needs. We've done respite nights with CB Special Needs. I mean, come on, Becky just said we've got to close our volunteer registration to figure out. We, we had a wait list after 48 hours for Night to Shine. Do you think there's a need in this area? Yeah, we're going to give to that to make sure that we care. And as we've given, guess what? God has blessed us abundantly by not like, oh, we've received more. Yeah, we've received more families and got to love them and received love from them. Is there any greater blessing? And then we gave a large portion to CB Youth because CB Youth continues to basically expand. And if there was a way to blow out the walls of houses, they're doing it. This last year, I think it was uh, Halloween, our trunk or treat. Is that right, Will? We had 80, 80 people in this room, and I was wiped from that day. I sat back there just watching as Will was jumping up and down, giving out prizes to kids, running around. And like 80 teenagers running around this gym. It was the highest group that we've ever had at CB Youth. And then on our midweek Bible studies, they are literally finding ways to sit around and like next to and on and like whatever they can do to fit into rooms. And the group has continued to grow. We had over 70 people go to our uh, lake champion last year which is the retreat we take our kids to and it's just it's just which means we need more leaders well god provided more leaders now we've got more leaders in that ministry and you know what happens when you get more leaders you get more kids praise god we're receiving a blessing of helping teenagers who struggle with life find who they are in christ does it get any better god will try to keep being faithful to being a generous church and giving away and so this is what we do. And in 2023, for our Christmas offering, it's going to look a little bit different. Instead of splitting it up four ways to give away, I do want to tell you we're going to be dividing it differently. We're going to take the first $9,000 that comes in for our Christmas offering, and we're going to divide it three ways. The first way is to continue to invest into CB Global. With all that's happening in the world right now, we believe we always need to keep our eyes out never become just inward focused, but the gospel is for all the world. Amen? We will continue to invest in this area and say this is a priority to reach people around the world and to support them. The second area that we're going to give is to an organization right over in Philadelphia called Philly House. It used to be the Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission, and this is the longest established in 1878 uh, it's the longest-running men's homeless shelter in Philadelphia and one of the most effective. They make hot meals three times a day, 365 days a year. They do not miss a day to love and care for the homeless men in Philadelphia. And they have ministered this year to over 1,500 individuals in Philadelphia. That's 1,500 individual men. And when I say minister to them, they are helping them socially, they are helping them physically, they are helping them academically, and most importantly, I think, is they are helping them spiritually. They do church every Sunday in that, uh, in that hall together, and it is amazing when you get to meet these men. And so we're going to be giving there. And then the third place that we're going to give is to CB Youth. This is to make more room for more leaders and more kids and more retreats because as we have more kids coming, when we do events like the scavenger hunt or like Champion, you only have so many Suburbans that you can pile people into, right? Unless it's a caravan rolling up like we're a presidential caravan, we need buses. I don't know if you've priced out a bus recently. They're expensive. 
And so this is what we want to do. We want to give to keeping our students together, traveling together, loving Jesus together, and opportunities to love each other and love Jesus. Amen? We're going to keep giving to this because it continues to grow. And the last area, after that $9,000 that we raise and we split, everything else is going to be going to our future ministry center, our future ministry center. And this is brand new. So for some of you, you are hearing right now like, whoa, what are we doing? We bought a building? No, we did not buy a building. That is not what we did because we can't do that. We have to make decisions like that together as a church because if we're a family, you don't spend your family's money without telling them. Don't spend your family's money without telling them. You know, our future ministry center, I, I want to tell you right up front, as we look at this and I tell you the story of this, this is going to be a place, and we're not using a building as the thing. This is not what it's about. This is a place where we are going to gather, we are going to grow, and we are going to go. That's the three things that are most important. We are going to gather, we are going to grow, and we are going to go. Go ahead and say it with me. We are going to gather, grow, and go. Okay, you know what we're going after. You know what we're doing. Um, I want to tell you, our Sunday mornings have continued to be such a blessing in my life to listen. And when we were singing, all I can say is thank you and like, you know, hallelujah. All the things that I began to, the Lord laid on my heart that I was most thankful for was your families and us coming together as a church. What a gift we have, isn't it? That we get to worship. And our Sundays have developed into one of the most amazing ministry days that I long for and look forward to being together. And then on Sunday nights, we pack out this room with teenagers, and it's unbelievable. But I will tell you, when I came to Crossbridge in 2012, it had a bit of a different feel. Our Sunday mornings felt great, and it was nice, and we were in the high school, but as the youth pastor at the time, we really struggled because we were in the basements of houses, and uh, you know, there's only so many holes you could put in drywall until they're like, yeah, can you move somewhere else? And it was hard. We became really like, you know, bottlenecked with what we could do. When I became lead pastor in 2016, I'll tell you, I, I came from a building or a church that had a big building, had all the stuff, and it was a great resource, but there was something about not having a building that I loved. And so I kind of secretly never said it out loud, but I definitely said it to myself that I don't ever want a building, not for Sundays, not for any days. I want to be a church that never has a building, and not having a building kind of became a little bit of an idol. This is who we are. Well... I, I did always keep an eye out, you know, for property, because people always ask, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's always a question. And in late 20, uh, or was the middle of 2019, moving into the late 2019 and early 2020, we found a piece of property that was uh, over in Woolwich. We thought there's a lot of potential to this. I had been meeting with the owner of it. It had a handshake deal. Here we go. And as soon as we had hand, the handshake deal, he ghosted me. And all I felt was insecurity that I couldn't close the deal. I should have done this different. It was that. And then COVID hit, and all I could do was thank God that we did not have a piece of property or a building. Because we didn't have to run through what so many other churches did to try to keep it open or rush to get in. We were at the will of the school. We were at the will of the government when they said, you can get back. Listen, this is who we are. And can I tell you, our church completely shifted in that time because we had to adapt. And what we realized was buildings are, like, we like getting together, but we will worship God wherever and however we can together. We will find a way, amen? Our virtual community has engaged with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for consistently being with us. I run into people who talk about, I started going to Crossbridge and COVID watching online, and I still do, and I want to get there. I want to be there. This is amazing. We saw our church expand. 
But after 18 months, when we were finally allowed back into that high school, we realized like, okay, this is good. We were back and we were back in masks. And I made the mistake even of meeting some of you for nine months because we couldn't take masks off for six months. And then finally, when we took masks off, I'm like, hey, I'm Jimmy. And you're like, hey, I'm so-and-so. Been here six months. And I'm like, cool. Never saw your face. I like seeing your faces. But it's really hard to do that Monday through Saturday because we're all over the place. On Sundays, we get to get together. This is great. But in the spring of 2023, what I realized is I felt the Lord putting something on my heart about a building, and I did not like it. And I told you two weeks ago that in that process, I, I didn't know what to do, so I took the opportunity to pause and pray about it. Lord, what do you want here? Is this just me? What is it? And so I went to our elders, would you guys fast and pray with me? I don't know what this is. And so they fasted and prayed, and they all came back saying, actually, we're feeling what you're feeling, that there's something new coming here. We should be actively looking. And I was like, okay. We found a building right in Swedesboro, and it was like, oh, this is going to be great. And we looked at it, and we just decided this wasn't it. And it never sold, so we decided to, you know what? Wait a minute. Let's look again. And we brought the whole board on, uh, on, the, on board with us. And we began praying together. And there was a retreat day where we stopped and we prayed over every single person in our church by name. And as we prayed for them, we said, let's go see if this building fits the people of our church. And this is what we want to do. And as we went, and as soon as we stepped foot onto the property, it was so clear. This is not supposed to be where we are. We can't grow here. And so we were like, you know what? That's not it. And then someone said, I, I do know about another piece of property. It has another building. Do you want to go look at it? And so we all did. We all went, and we began to walk around this building in Gibbstown. And when we walked around this building in Gibbstown, let me tell you, this one felt different. Here's a shot of it from Google Earth. This building was different because first off is it was much larger. And as we looked at each other, we went, oh, this could help us grow. But definitely not on Sundays. Kingsway has been so gracious to us, and we love our partnership with them. We want to stay here on Sundays for our time of worship and our time for youth ministry in the evenings. Nothing would change on Sundays because we have room to grow exponentially in here. But Monday through Saturday, we need a place to grow, and we're capping every house that is generously offered to us to meet in. We can no longer. We had to cap soul care. We're at a max point with youth ministry stuff. Many of our homes house a ton of Crossbridge stuff. We're maxing it out. We needed to figure out what to do. And as we began to look at this building, it was like, huh, it was three medical practices. 5,200 square feet. And we thought, well, there's a lot of room to grow in here. What do we want to do with this? Well, I'll tell you. It's tucked right into this amazing residential community. It's located right on the main drag of Gibbstown, and I have been in Gibbstown so much recently just praying over this, this amazing town. It is such a diverse group of people, young to old. There's a high concentration of veterans in this area, and it's just, it's, it's a beautiful town. The people are amazing. I sit and work at that Dunkin' Donuts now because I, I want to get to know them. And each day, I fall more in love with this town, going, Lord, you care for these people. There's not a ton of churches in this area. 
there's not a ton of people from this area who come to Crossbridge. Will lives a half a mile, <laughs> if that, from the building. And it's like, man, he said, there's, there's a need. You're right. And we began to look at it and pray over it, and we started to dream. And can I tell you, it's really fun when you get to dream. It's really fun when God starts to open up what could happen, what could you do. And so I, I will tell you that we, we meant that, that, like, we started to go in, and we booked some appointments, and we started to get some experts to come in to tell us things that we don't know. I, I, I don't know a lot about construction stuff. I, ask me about how they built the tabernacle. I could do that. Don't ask me about construction. I can't do that. If it's not Ikea, I'm out. Right? So it was like, what do we do? And, and we brought people in who volunteered their time, their efforts, their energies to give us insight. Because if it was far outside of what we thought we could do together, it wasn't even worth pursuing. But we began to say, I think God is up to something here. He, we began to dream. We began to go, what is up with this? It's right off exit 17, 21 parking spaces. It's completely already built for wheelchair accessibility, which really helps meet the need of our CB special needs and it has a pretty unique layout because there's tons of tiny little offices. All these little pediatric places. So that helped me realize we need to do some demo and reconstruction to transform this into a ministry center. This isn't exactly what it would look like, but this is the beginning of a dream of what we would see. And the layout is, is there would be a huge multi-purpose room. And the multi-purpose room would really help us as we begin to minister to and gather our CB kids for their fun days that are inside over the winter. That our CB youth would have a place during the midweek to expand as a group and then continue to break into smaller groups and be right there without a rush or a worry about breaking drywall and stuff, right? Our CB Global, we would have a place where we could continue to gather and not just do a Sunday morning thing, but we would be able to have time with our international workers to say, what are you doing? We would be able to gather our CB Local Committee and, and say, what is it that Gibbs Town, what is it that those surrounding areas really need? And let's help meet that need Monday through Saturday, not just waiting when we can get together, but we have a time, we have a place. We could be there with all of our Night to Shine training. We could be there with CB special needs respite nights. Everything that we do now, we would have space to grow in it. But my favorite thing is I reach, and as, as I dream about this, is there's opportunity for community classes to figure out what does our community need? How will soul care or emotionally healthy spirituality, how will financial classes, since everyone fights about that, be a blessing to this community? How could we work with the town to find out what they really need and be a place that provides that? There's a huge kitchen area, which, I mean, I thought was so cool. And I was like, oh, we could do a lot with that because it was two houses that were put together. And so, if you like cooking on 1970s appliances, it's the place for you. But could you imagine what it would be like if there was a need and we were able to help families this way? Could you imagine this office space? I'll just be candid with you. It's very difficult. It's very difficult sometimes to lead a staff where we are all separate in our own homes. And when we can get together, it's so quick and rushed you might get sick and tired of water cooler conversations wherever you work, but we don't ever get them. I, I want to gather with people at the church as we begin to fold things and mail things and do things that, that we have time together. 
a resource room where, where all of our soap stuff, all of our the things, that when you ask me questions about Bible stuff, listen, you can go here, all the resources are here, I'll even help you how to study. You can teach each other how to study. And the best part is we can invite our community when they've got questions about Jesus, oh, come with me, I've got ways to help you. We just got to go to our home away from home. We got we to gotta just follow me to Gibbstown. Oh, what, what's, what's there? It's our ministry center. What's there? Oh, that's where we gather. That's where we grow. And that's why we go and we reach our community. This is not just about us, but we have really found our stride in loving God together. And I'm so proud of you, but a time has come where it is time to go. It is time to reach. It is time to celebrate the Jesus that we love who has changed our life and introduce our community to him. This is our dream. Is this the end of our dream? Is this being, this is where we, this is it? No, this is a step. All we're looking for is for people to take one step forward in their faith. This is our step forward as a church. And so I just want to invite you to dream with me, to pray over this, to think about this. I'm so proud of our board because they made a huge decision that, and this is a risky decision. I'm going to tell you that straight up. Our board made a decision on this in any future. If it's not here, we know where we're heading. And it's pretty clear, isn't it? Are you with me on that? If this does not work out and it's like, oh, well, that's it, we're out. No, the Lord is developing something here, a dream, where we will find a place for the whole week that we can gather, we can grow, and we can go. But I'm proud of our board because they know how impactful and how stressful money is on staffing. And so they have made a decision that we will not build beyond what we have. We will not do construction beyond what we have. We will not take out loans because we need to get to a certain place. If the Lord is moving in this together, he will move in this together through us. And we will all do this together. But if it's not there, we won't do it because we don't want to go into debt Unless, you know, for anything, it's just not a healthy way to live according to church. It's not. And so we're not going to do that. And so we will come together. This is what we'll do. The last thing I want to tell you, and part of my dream is this. In Exodus 35, Moses is leaving, uh, or Exodus 25, they've left Egypt and God gives him plans to create a tabernacle. It's like the first portable church, right? So they've got to build it, and they've got like curtains and all this furniture that they've got to place. And when God says to Moses, here's what you've got to do, and here's what it's going to take, I'll tell you, it, it was like a billions upon billions of dollar project. And so Moses lays out the vision for the people and says, this is what's going to happen. If the Lord moves on your heart and you want to give to this, go ahead and give. And from Exodus 25 to Exodus 35, there's all those things that we want to skip over, like how was furniture arranged and people wearing certain things. And it's all the details that the blueprints of the tabernacle. But when you get to Exodus 35, it repeats what it said in Exodus 25. If you want to be a part of this, we want you to give without compulsion, without worry or expectation. And we want you to give generously. And all of a sudden... A man named Baziliel, who was anointed by God to do the craftsmanship of the temple, comes to Moses and says this, uh, Moses, can you do me a favor? Anything. Can you tell them to stop giving? I know that you've never heard that message, have you? 
can you tell them to stop? Like, I, I have so much. I have more material, and all of my craftsmen are doing everything they can, and, and we're using everything, but we have too much. We don't know what to do with the extra gold and the extra fabric and the extra this. Like, it's all building up. And remember, this was a slave nation who left with almost nothing except what Egypt dumped on them and said, get out. And they gave until they couldn't, until it frustrated the craftsmen. And so, Crossbridge, I want to invite you to frustrate me. <laughs> frustrate me. Because I believe it's, again, I'm not an expert. It's probably going to take a little more than a half a million dollars beyond what we currently have to see every stage of what we want to do in this building done. For it to be a place where we gather, where we grow, and where we go. And I want to invite you to join me in that. So everything in our Christmas offering over that first three goes here. And we're going to be talking about it. We're going to be, um, as we move forward in it next week, you've probably got a ton of questions. I already know that. Good. There's a form that you can fill out online. You can also drop some questions if you have them on your cards right into the giving boxes, and we will get them. And you could scan right here if you're like, I've already got 100 questions. Great. Next week in our congregational meeting, I want to answer as many of those questions as I can for you. So scan it. Ask all your questions. And when I don't know the answer, I'll say, I have no idea. I've never done this. But we're going to do it together. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we prepare to receive communion? Jesus, you have given us so much. And the ultimate of that is your very life for ours. And we just sang about what do we have but a hallelujah. A praise you, Lord, for what you have given us. And so in this moment, I just thank you that you have not rushed us into anything, but you have continued to allow us to take faithful step after faithful step. And if, if, if this is continuing to be what you are doing, we want to lean into this together as a church. We want to celebrate and we want to, to give generously and we want to be wise about what you've given us. But Lord, I ask that we would, as we step into this, understand the generosity that you have given up for us, everything. And so as we celebrate communion today, we look to the cross for our salvation, for our redemption, to retell the story that has changed our life. That's why we celebrate it together every week, is to make sure you are the center of what we are doing. This is not about, in this whole process, Crossbridge becoming a real church now, or Crossbridge stepping into, this is about you being lifted high, you being introduced to our community, and you changing their lives like you've changed ours. Jesus, thank you.